Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Kennan Institute webcast on conducting business in Russia, Finland's future prospects. Uh, we have a informed panel here to discuss about Finnish-Russian trade relations. Uh, I want to begin by saying that we will be getting to your questions. I've been told that I need to repeat this information several times, that you want, if you want to submit questions, uh, you can submit them by email to Kennan at Wilson Center via Twitter at Kennan Institute or on our Facebook page. Please include your name and affiliation when sending questions. Today, there are approximately 600 Finnish businesses operating in Russia. Uh, a recent survey of, of the subset of these businesses show that while Finnish firms have a negative outlook on the Russian economy over the next six months, they continue to see their business prospects in a positive light. So today to uh, uh, further discuss this survey, we have Lori uh, Bejalanen and Samika Parvianen of East Office of Finnish Industries, uh, who will analyze the data and trends of these, of these businesses and discuss the views, uh, their views on operating in Russia's volatile market. And then we'll have a top commentary by Aksana Antinenko. So, uh, we will start today's discussion uh, with Laurie, who is the CEO of East Office of Finnish Industries, based in Helsinki. Before joining East Office, he was the CEO of Stocking Group, a listed Finnish retail company, and he has had other uh, previous positions working in the Russian Federation. Sanika is a Helsinki-based economist working as an analyst for East Office of Finnish Industries, she has over a decade of experience on academic and applied research on the Russian and CIS economies. So with that, we'll turn it over to Lori and Sanika. Lori, the floor is yours. Thank you so much, uh, William, for, for the kind words. Yes, indeed, my name is Lauri Veijalainen, and I'm the CEO of, of Finnish Industries. Um, I have worked in, in, in Moscow for actually 17 years as a as a CFO for IKEA and Skanska, both Swedish companies, and then lastly with, with Stockman, a Finnish retailer. But let's, let's get to the presentation, shall we? So could I have the first slide, please, Sinikka? East Office, very shortly, was established uh, in 2008. Uh, we have at the moment 28 uh, shareholders who have invested into the Russian uh, market around 8 billion uh, euros, which is equivalent, I guess, of, of, of 10 billion euros. Uh, 10 billion dollars. Um, we have we are working very closely with the Finnish Foreign Ministry, and uh, uh, basically are are supporting our shareholders, maintaining active contacts and with key decision makers. As example, we had we had the governor of Saint Petersburg visiting us in December. Uh, Mr. Dvorkovic was speaking to us last week. We have a meeting with the Finnish Prime uh, with the Finnish Foreign Minister tomorrow. So it's it's very much keeping in touch with the business as well as the the, the political scene, uh, as well and the ministries. We do have an office in Helsinki and um, in Moscow next to the Red Square. Uh, next slide, Sinika, please. Uh, East office operating sectors very versatile, very diverse. Uh, I would say that the biggest one is is, is Fortum, which is around 5.5 billion, uh, one of the biggest. Um, energy providers, producers in, in Russia, wind, wind power as well as oil uh, and other, other power sources, but very diverse. Next slide. Uh, you probably are not familiar with most of the, the slides if you go back, Sinica 1. 
except maybe Finnair, Kone, a big um, elevator company, uh, Nokian Tires, which is, uh, has actually a factory in the US, in Daytona. Um, but uh, these are more or less the, the who is who in the Finnish business life and the biggest companies, both uh, private, uh, government-owned, publicly listed, at, as well as privately, privately owned. Next slide, Sinikka. Uh, Finland and Russia, uh, a long history. We used to be part of Russia uh, from 1809 till 17, when people say Lenin gave Finland its independence. Uh, we turned uh, 100 years, 2017, now we're 103 years old. It's been a bit of a rough ride. Uh, we got into a, a dispute with the Russians uh, in, in uh, 39 to 44. My own grandma, grandfather was in the front. But then uh, in, in uh, 95, uh, 45 uh, to 54, we had to pay back the, the, the big um, war debt uh, that uh, was imposed to us. Uh, but it was, it was actually paid back in 1952 when Helsinki also hosted the Olympics. You can also see that the proximity of, the, of, the, of, of Finland to, to Russia. You can actually get to St. Petersburg in less than an hour by plane and there's a fast, fast train which takes about three, three hours, 20, 20, three, hour, three and a half hours at the moment. And Moscow is, is only an hour and 20 minutes away by plane. So people actually commute from Helsinki. They go in the morning by plane, they have a full day in Moscow and they, they still make it by midnight back uh, to Helsinki. So, so it is very, very much uh, a close, close, close market for us. And with over 1,300 kilometers of border, of course, a, a, a very important uh, politically as well. Finland is part of EU and we very, very strictly also follow, follow the EU regulations, including also the sanctions. So, so the Finland, Finland's policy is very much following the EU sanctions as well. Currency is the euro and we are quite small. We are around 5.5 million people. Next slide, please, Sinik. The role of, the Russia, uh, of Russia in Finnish foreign trade um, has always been extremely, extremely important. Last year, Russia was Finland's fourth largest trading partner, third as a source of imports and, and fifth as an export destination. Of course, now with this COVID-19 and, and things changing, of course, there will be turbulence. And what, what it has been mainly is that we, we import raw materials and energy from Russia, oil, and then we export intermediate and investment goods, machinery, uh, marine engines, uh, windmills, uh, et cetera, et cetera which is around 40% of the total merchandise exports. But what has been increasing recently has been the share of services. And uh, it's up to 30% of the total exports to Russia. And what is extremely important is also the proximity of St. Petersburg with 6 million people and the tourism that Finland gets, uh, especially on its Eastern border, but also in, in Helsinki, the capital, as well as the other bigger cities. But this as a very short introduction um, as the time is limited and we want to take your questions. So I would like to turn the word now to, to Sinikka to share a little bit how the Finnish companies are, are feeling at the moment just prior when the COVID-19 also hit Russia. So Sinikka, the floor is yours. Thank you. Thank you, Lauri. So I wanted to present to you uh, some results from a, from a study we are conducting together with our partners. Uh, where we aim to find out the, uh, how businesses who are engaged, Finnish businesses who are engaged in the Russian market, how, they, how, the, how are they faring and what are their expectations for the next six months. Uh, and this, this is a study that has been conducted since 2002. 
uh, and the sample is collected from the Finnish Russian Chamber of Commerce member registry. Uh, and our partners uh, in this study are, uh, for example, the Finnish Russian Chamber of Commerce and the Finnish Entrepreneurs Association. And uh, the last barometer was conducted in, uh, in March 2020, uh, where nearly uh, 300 company representatives were interviewed. And um, I will just give you a few backgrounds of the, of the companies, of the respondents of these surveys. And I think this will give you a good, good idea of the characteristics of, of companies who are engaged in, uh, Finnish companies who are engaged in Russian trade. So uh, most of the companies uh, operate in producing industrial products. Like Lauri said, uh, Lauri talked about intermediate investment products. This is this is where where they are uh, they are good at. This is this is uh, what the Russian market, uh, what they have been serving the Russian market. And then predominantly, or mostly, these companies are are relatively small ones, uh, less than 50 employees, which is a interesting characteristic of, uh, of, uh, of, of companies that are actually, have actually uh, are working or are serving uh, foreign markets. Uh, the type of activity that these, uh, these companies are doing is mostly uh, exporting. Over 70% are engaged in exporting to Russia, but also over 60% have some affiliation, uh, affiliates or uh, or representative offices in, in Russia, inside Russia. Uh, and the export products that, these, uh, uh, that, that are mostly exported are, are industrial manufacturers, as, as you probably could imagine. So uh, this, will, this will be my, my last background slide before getting into the real results. Uh, we present our results in this survey in terms of a so-called growth ratio which is uh, basically the share of the difference between reported growth and, and decrease, just so that you, you, you get the right, right idea of my graphs. So here you see the, the timeline of the results of the survey. And uh, here we've been asking, asking the companies uh, on a biannual basis on what are the expectations for the Russian uh, market in the next six months, which is the orange line. And then uh, what are their expectations for their own business in the Russian market in the next six months, which is the dark gray line. And then the dashed uh, red line is how they've actually done in the Russian market. Uh, so in this timeline, you see that there, was, there are these high, uh, high expectations and, and high hopes in the, in the, since uh, 2004 to, to, to the 2009 crisis. And since the 2009 crisis, uh, the market has has been has not been so positive, um, and then for the for the Finnish firms uh, or or their views, it's interesting here that even though the 2009 crisis was a very deep one in terms of GDP uh, GDP um, contraction, we see that for for these firms' views, uh, the Crimean crisis or the or the recession that came after the Crimean annexation was actually more serious, even though it was not, uh, not so serious in terms of uh, GDP decrease. Uh, then one more interesting feature of, uh, of these results, to me at least, has been uh, the relatively positive attitude of these companies uh, all the time, uh, or almost all the time throughout this survey, that 
these companies they always they always have high expectations of their own business in the Russian market. Usually, usually these kind of expectations have not been met uh, as you, as if you compare the 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 dashed line and the and the gray line, for example. So so this this kind of relatively um, let's say over positive view is per perhaps something that has kept the Finnish. Uh, Finnish entrepreneurs and companies in the uh, in the market, and then another another one uh, that has been has been interesting in uh, as long as I've been working in this survey is uh, is kind of the expectations of growth in the Russian market as a whole or the Russian economy compared to their own business. So um, since two years ago that I started analyzing these these data myself. Um, there was a slight shift that the actual expectations um, of of these firms on how the Russian economy will will develop were were becoming decreasing each time each round, but then at the same time these companies were being very positive about their own business at the same time. So so this is another reflection of these companies. Um, to my view, they they have found their comfortable niche. Uh, that, that's my analysis. They have found that they have their good networks. They have been long established, uh, and uh, they think that they can go against the against the tide of the of Russian kind of stagnating economy. Uh, then there's a similar story related to exports. Uh, all the respondents have perhaps only one survey around the the kind of experience and expectation actually were matched. And um, these uh, these companies, surveyed companies, they have always been more positive than than what the reality could kind of let them, lead them to expect. So this is this is a uh, another idea we've been pondering pondering with our partners for for a long time. Um, then we all in this survey we asked our companies uh, or, or the surveyed companies we all ask about what kind of problems or what are the largest obstacles they are facing in their in their business in in Russia and uh, there are perhaps the top three problems that have been arising since spring 2014 when we've been asking uh, these these problems particularly has been the ruble exchange rate which is probably not a surprise that many of these companies, most of these companies are exporting. And uh, like you see in March 2020, the, the ruble depreciated very strongly and this, this uh, rose to be a, the biggest problem that the companies are facing. Then a second, second top three problem has been economic instability and low demand, which I believe is a re reflection of the stagnating Russian Russian economy. Uh, some people would say since 2009, but definitely since 2013, since the Crimean crisis. And uh, one, uh, one uh, a reoccurring pro problem is, um, or, or one, one concerning feature is the is the decreasing uh, purchasing power of Russians. Uh, and and we know that the real disposable disposable incomes have not uh, recovered to the 2013 levels in Russia. So this is, this is worrying, worrying and, and kind of being um, directed to low, low demand for Finnish companies as well. And then the last top three that I want to mention is the political risk and sanctions that has been 
at times one of the major problems that these companies mention. And uh, this is interesting, even though I think we represent the larger companies who are operating in the Russian market, but and our companies are very kind of adapted to the sanctions uh, environment already. It has already been several years since we had the sanctions uh, and compliance measures are like a part of a daily routine for these large companies. But uh, recently, perhaps during the last year, we've seen these, um, we've seen the companies are increasingly worried about US sanctions, that uh, there's more kind of uncertainty related to US sanctions. They're imposed perhaps a bit faster than the EU sanctions. Uh, and this is because uh, all, all foreign companies operating in Russia, they need dollar accounts. And uh, many Western and Nordic banks are becoming very wary of, of any transactions related to Russia. So, so this, is, this is kind of uh, one way the sanctions are, are channeling into EU companies as well. So just as, a, just as a concluding remark, I want to say a few words on the future prospects on how, how I see Finnish-Russian business relations developing. Uh, so as, as Lauri already said, the Finnish business is long established and many were set up already after Perestroika and Glasnost, uh, predominantly in Northwest Russia. And uh, we believe that these companies are who are already there are likely to continue serving their customers in their, in their kind of um, established, comfortable niche market and uh, in, the, in the product range that they're good at in, uh, in kind of sophisticated investment goods. And uh, they will be serving the private customers and probably will stay out of the, the government bids. Uh, and I believe the Russian market is and will remain one of the first markets to, for Finnish small and medium-sized enterprises to, to go to as their first foreign market. Uh, and now I see that the Finnish, Finnish companies, uh, they have a few advantages uh, in addition to the fact that they have stayed after Crimea uh, in Russia. And, and one of the features or one of the trends that we see is the rising awareness of environmental sustainability in Russia. Customers and businesses are, are becoming more and more aware of environmental sustainability, not other type of sustainability. This is not what we're seeing. But in, environmental problems, they're they are rising and uh, they are a bit behind the Nordic countries and Western Europe. But we see that this is, a, this is an important trend. Then another thing is the high quality of products. Um, Finnish, Finnish products have in Northwest Russia, they have good reputation for being high quality, perhaps not the cheapest ones. Uh, and Finnish companies have a reputation for being very reliable business partners. So we are not really expecting a kind of flocking out of Finnish, Finnish firms at the moment. Those that wanted, who were not so well networked or established, they have already left as the Crimea. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, there are some worrying trends that we see. And one of them is the state localization efforts that the Russian government is imposing, uh, import substitution preference uh, of uh, Russian firms over, over foreign firms. Uh, the decline in purchasing power, I, I mentioned already, and then, these, um, uh, these financial institutions being more and more suspicious of Russian transactions. 
So uh, <clears throat> unfortunately, the very optimistic days of the 2000s will not be returning. And uh, we see that the number of engines is likely to say uh, very low uh, for Finnish companies, probably other Western companies as well. Uh, <clears throat> simply for the reason the Russian economy is what we believe will be stagnating uh, after it recovers from this current recession. So uh, <clears throat> perhaps on this not so positive note, I will end my presentation and I'm looking forward to Oksana's comments and any other questions you might have. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much, Sanika. And we'll now turn to the comments of Oksana Antoninko, a global fellow at the Woodrow Wilson Center, as well as director for global risk analysis at Control Risk Groups, where she focuses on analyzing political regularity and security risk for senior decision makers in private and public sectors. Her work focuses on Europe, including Russia, Turkey, and Central Asia, as well as Africa and the Middle East. Uh, in addition to her affiliation with the Wilson Center, she is also a visiting senior fellow at the Institute of Global Affairs at the London School of Economics and Political Science. So, Aksana, the floor is yours. Yes, thank you very much, uh, William, and, and thank you very much for including me in this uh, um, really interesting event. Uh, you know, we, we have a lot of uh, discussions about, uh, we hear a lot of discussions about the state of Russian economy, but very rarely I think we have a chance to look at it from the perspective of uh, companies that are operating in, in Russia. So it's, it's really valuable and very interesting to hear the experience of Finnish businesses. Um, uh, Control Risks uh, Group is a global risk uh, uh, specialist risk advisory company. And we have a very uh, long uh, standing presence in Russia and a large team there. Uh, so we've been working a lot with uh, many foreign investors, including Finnish companies. Uh, and prior to joining Control Risks, I was a, for six years a senior political counsel at the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development, focusing on Russia, and again had uh, a chance to uh, uh, see uh, Finnish companies and Finnish investors operating in Russia. So uh, I certainly can, can testify that the Finnish businesses are perhaps the most sophisticated and the most uh, experienced in uh, their uh, engagement on the Russian market. So what I would like to suggest from my side is to take a look at how we assess the uh, risks that are currently exist uh, for uh, investors, particularly the foreign direct investors that are uh, facing uh, in the Russian market and, and really add a little bit of how we see the future for the Russian economy and for the business environment uh, in Russia. So to start with, um, uh, we at Control Risks are uh, producing a number of uh, risk indicators, you know, for more than 200 countries around the world. But one of them uh, is the Economic and Political Risk Evaluator, which is uh, a, a platform uh, for analyzing risk, uh, a joint platform between Control Risks and Oxford Economics. And uh, this is the data for Russia from our analysis. Um, when we look at uh, uh, you know, how Russia is performing vis-a-vis uh, -vis other emerging markets and uh, uh, globally, we see that uh, uh, generally uh, Russia is seen uh, as a kind of medium risk uh, market. Uh, for example, the uh, risk uh, uh, in Russia now, the overall uh, risk in Russia is 5.5, with 10 being 
the most uh, uh, risky and of course one the least risky and the uh, emerging markets overall i think the risk uh, in the eastern uh, uh, eastern partnership countries are uh, about uh, uh, 4.5 uh, so, so russia is a slightly more riskier than the other countries in the region but we also see that overall um, russian market has become uh, more risky uh, over the last obviously um, a quarter and as a result of uh, the developments we have seen related to COVID. And, and in particular, we assess that the political risk in Russia has increased much more substantially than the uh, economic risk. And when we talk about political risk, of course, we look at both the uh, policy uh, response of the government to COVID, which I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, further on, but generally political stability and the trust that the, that the population is placing and the businesses are placing in uh, government's response uh, and of course the international environment in which the government operates. If we look at the business environment, again, uh, risk in Russia has increased, you know, compared, for example, with the emerging markets, the in business environment uh, uh, space, you know, Russia is now substantially higher risk uh, country than uh, other emerging market and other Eastern Europe uh, countries. But also, if you can see here, you know, compared to BRICS countries overall, Russia is also at a higher risk. Um, if we look more specifically at where Russia is, you know, across different risk categories, um, that, uh, you know, the, the highest risk that we see in Russia at the moment for many investors, and, and Sinica has mentioned that in relations to localization, is in the cyber domain. So many of the investors that operate in Russia, they face um, you know, a much more challenging environment from the point of view of financial fraud, the cyber extortion, um, and uh, generally the disruptive uh, environment for cyber. In relation to political risk, Russia remains in the medium category, although, although uh, a number of uh, uh, regions in the North Caucasus uh, in particular, you know, are in a higher risk category. Uh, but for many uh, investors, of course, operational risk is particularly important. And here, um, we are seeing um, increasingly um, a challenging environment and we have recently raised uh, operational risk in Russia from medium to high. Um, so if we look at the um, uh, overall performance that uh, Russia um, so far has shown in dealing with the COVID crisis, um, so at the moment, uh, as we all know, Russia is uh, uh, in the fourth place uh, in terms of the number, overall number of cases after the United States and Brazil. But uh, in terms of per capita uh, number of cases, Russia remains in a, a pretty high category. So you can see it's about 61.5. And of course, we know that from uh, uh, yesterday, Russia has uh, been reopening, uh, sort of ending the lockdown, you know, quite abruptly uh, in Moscow. But uh, of course, in many parts of Russia, uh, because of the uh, financial and economic constraints, the lockdown has never been fully implemented. So I think we are still seeing quite a lot of concerns as to how the whole COVID crisis is likely to unfold going forward. And that, of course, is going to impact both the investor sentiment, but also the ability of the Russian economy to recover. And of course, whether the uh, uh, purchasing uh, um, or demand from um, uh, consumers and, 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 and will could recover um, in the future. So what are the future um, challenges um, uh, and risks that we are seeing in Russia? The first one, of course, is uh, to assess what will be the real economic impact of COVID crisis on the Russian economy. The forecasts really vary quite substantially. 
Um, they vary between, uh, you know, minus 5% GDP for this year. This is the forecast uh, from, official forecast from the Russian government. Um, the IMF uh, has now downgraded further its forecast and the EBRD did as well, so closer to 6%. And of course, there are more independent uh, Russian own forecasts that are being published recently that predict as uh, much as a 20% decrease in the GDP for this year. And clearly, it is a very substantial challenge. Um, if, if the um, uh, economic impact will be closer to 10% uh, or 11%, it is going to be one of the most uh, severe economic recessions that Russia is going to face in the last 20 years. And of course, you know, we also do not expect that the Russian econo economy is going to recover very quickly. We've seen in case of 2008-2009 crisis, as well as to some extent in 2014, the recovery has been relatively quick, but it is possible that um, we are going to uh, see another, uh, at least uh, another year or possibly even two years when Russian economy remains uh, uh, close to recession. And clearly when recovery does come, we do not expect uh, a very uh, um, ambitious and, 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 and significant economic growth. Um, another issue, of course, is to what extent the government has so far responded in supporting you know, business um, in uh, going through that uh, uh, COVID crisis. Um, the government so far has announced uh, um, several programs. One of them, of course, recently been unveiled by the prime minister, which promises about 7 trillion rubles uh, over two years, out of which you know, about 5 trillion only is coming from the budget support. But most of this support is going to the state-owned enterprises and only very small share of it is actually allocated to support the entrepreneurs and the small and medium-sized enterprises. Um, and in particular, the support for SMEs, of course, is going to be quite challenging in the environment where quite a lot of uh, Russian you know, businesses still exist in the gray economy and, and therefore they are not really able to tap in even in a very modest um, uh, bailouts and assistance programs that are being uh, provided and most of the support for the uh, private sector is really offered in terms of deferral in the payment of the um, taxes rather than the direct subsidies or payments to the population. So the domestic demand, you know, as Nika has already mentioned quite clearly that Russia has experienced uh, more than five years of declining uh, real incomes uh, and uh, real disposable income. And it is likely that this decline is going to be even more severe this year, of course, and recovery is going to be quite slow. I mentioned the SMEs, you know, the one of the Russian business association, Aforo-RIC, which is the association for you know, small and medium-sized businesses, is predicted that it is potentially about one million Russian small and medium-sized businesses that are going to close down as a result of COVID and will never be able to recover. So that is, of course, a very substantial impact given that, you know, Russia already has a rather small share of the SMEs in its economy. Um, and, of, uh, and at the same time, of course, SMEs continue to generate substantially more uh, jobs for a population than, uh, for example, large oil companies that occupy a very large share in Russian business. Um, the regional impacts are also very important. You know, quite a lot of Russian businesses, uh, Russian regions, you know, really depend, depend for their income for on um, uh, income tax and the tax on, uh, uh, you know, businesses uh, operating in the, in the regions. And they receive very few subsidies. As a result of that, they were not really able to close down and implement the full lockdown because they would have lost quite substantial share of their income. Uh, and the support from the uh, federal government so far for the regional budgets 
has remained at a very low, about 0.2% of the GDP, which is not a very substantial um, size. So um, the foreign investment, of course, is being impacted uh, still by sanctions. We have seen some increase in foreign investment in 2018 and 2019. But in this year, of course, we expect that the uh, FDI in Russia is going to continue to decline and probably will remain um, quite low uh, in the coming year as well. Um, uh, finally, if we look at the political stability overall, of course, Russia is poised to conduct a referendum on the 1st of July uh, on the changes to the constitution, which of course is likely to be approved. But of course, it is only the beginning of the political transition you know, to the new constitutional arrangements after 2024. And we've seen at the same time, of course, the uh, support and trust in government and even approval rating for President Putin himself is at the record low already now. And we, of course, expect that uh, the crisis will continue to have an impact on the population. So uh, all in all, of course, Russia is facing a much more challenging business environment for many businesses to operate. But of course, you know, as Sinika mentioned, you know, quite a few businesses that are operating currently in Russia have already adopted to um, this, uh, you know, challenging environment. And it is unlikely that uh, many of the businesses are going to decide to exit the Russian market. I think they are just going to try to operate in this rather challenging environment. So I'll stop here. Thank you. Thank you very much, Oksana. Uh, and a reminder to our audience that if you do have questions for our guests, you can submit them by email to kennan at wilsoncenter.org, via Twitter at Kennan Institute, or on our Facebook page. Um, I guess uh, I'll ask the first question. Um, and I guess it, it really uh, follows on Oksana's presentation and the difficult business environment uh, that uh, that Russia poses now. So when you actually consult with these Finnish businesses um, and you get their impressions and, and their ability to function, is there an attempt by Finnish businesses to, to form a, a, a chamber of commerce or some sort of unified organization so that they can present their concerns at a high level or all these businesses operating on their own and simply finding their connections with uh, appropriate other businesses in Russia? Um, I would say that that's why East Office has, was formed, um, as, as we represent 80% of the, of the investments in, of, of Finnish companies in Russia. It is, it is uh, the doors open when you're united in Russia. They normally, normally do, and you get access to high-level people uh, Maturity of the issues are such that it normally requires a legislative change, and that takes time. Uh, I used to work for for IKEA for seven years, which was a Swedish company, and they never belonged to any 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 chamber of commerce or anywhere because they were so powerful by themselves. So it's really a question about uh, question about uh, also their size and and and, and their uh, visibility. Like we have we have some of the some of the uh, companies in East Office who do quite a lot by themselves. So it really depends case by case, by case but, but the bigger you are, the, the, the more, more attention you normally get in Russia. Seneca, you, do you have anything to add to that or? Yeah, I think uh, specifically, I wasn't involved in 2008 when East Office was formed, but I think that was exactly 
exactly the reason why uh, they wanted to go to the highest level as pos possible with our problems, with, with the problems that our companies were facing. And, uh, and in, uh, I think at the time it was felt that in Russia that was, that was the way to, way to go forward. And I think there have been some successful, successful cases with that, especially in Northwest Russia, Finnish business is very, very known and very respected, uh, to my view at least. Great, thanks. So we do have a question from Twitter. Uh, do small, medium, and large businesses have different perspe differing perspectives on their future prospects in Russia, whether looking at it from an economic or a political lens? So the distinction between large, uh, medium, and small enterprises. Uh, the large companies like Nokian Tires, who is actually the biggest exporter of community goods from Russia, they are producing tires. They have invested over 1 billion euros, which is around $1.2 billion to the market. I, I, I would say that the bigger companies are committed and, and they have large investments. And they also have the fi financial capability of take these kind of things that have happened because it's been a, I, I moved to Moscow in 1998 and I, I, I lived there till 15, 2015, and it was a roller coaster ride. But the companies who prevailed were the ones that, that were committed and, and who also had the financial capabilities. The, the, the capability of taking these kind of um, market uh, hiccups for small and medium sized businesses is, is, is tougher. But it, at the end, it boils down for the Finnish companies in, 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 in the product, in the service. And if they have reached the market level or market share, they normally are safe. Uh, the biggest challenge for small and medium-sized businesses at the moment in, of the Finnish companies is actually the size of the middle class in Russia. That what will happen to the middle class, and it, it will be shrinking. And, and we already know that. And a majority of these small and medium-sized are serving the middle class. So it is a choice and it will be a choice whether the middle class will in the future travel or will they do a renovation in their flat. They can't do both. And, and, and this is something that you have to differentiate also your service and your product. Yeah, I could, I could add a few points related to the uh, data that I, I just presented. Um, the smaller firms are actually uh, in the last barometer, uh, they're actually more optimistic about the Russian market than the bigger ones, which, uh, which is uh, probably, uh, it depends a bit on the industry. The industrial firms were still quite positive. Retail firms were very, very negative. Small retail, retail firms, they're also very negative. But uh, we have to remember that this data was collected in March when the real kind of negative impacts or the, or the restrictions were not enforced in the Russian market yet. But this is an interesting, in, interesting factor that we've seen that the smallest firms, they always been, almost always have been the most positive. They have, they have some kind of, they, they have long-standing relations, personal relations usually, and they, they trust these networks that they have. And uh, I think this is an interesting, interesting feature as such. I, I, yes. Aksana, do, do, uh, I want to bring you into the conversation because uh, I, I'm, I'm heartened by the optimism of uh, Finnish small businesses, but do you find in your other work and in assessing the risk assessment that small businesses as a whole are attracted to the Russian market? Well, I think the very few 
countries have same similar experiences Finland does, you know, where the SMEs or small and medium-sized businesses represent a very substantial share of investment in the Russian market, because mostly from most other countries, maybe China is one exception, you know, where, uh, you know, it's mostly the investment which is coming from the large companies. And, and it's partly because this is the structure of the Russian economy overall, it's, you know, it's itself, you know, it is very much dominated now by the state and it's dominated by um, the large uh, companies. Uh, and, and, and this middle class that Laurie mentioned, uh, you know, clearly there's been a huge impact on the size and the, and the health of the Russian middle class, particularly after 2014, 2015, and its uh, you know its size and, and, and purchasing power and capacity to uh, you know uh, provide kind of demand for um, uh, particularly in the consumer uh, uh, goods area it has really shrunk quite substantially since then. Um, uh, but uh, we've seen, of course, that uh, uh, for Russian SMEs themselves, the situation has been pretty desperate in the last few few years even last year you know one of the surveys that, that the mr titov who is a russian representative for entrepreneurship he does his office conducts annual survey of the small and medium-sized businesses in russia and last year um which wasn't uh, a bad year you know it's uh, it was a year of economic growth uh, although a very modest one um uh, you know 75 percent of russian businesses are actually closer to 80 percent were saying that the economic environment for them was was negative of which 28 percent said it was very negative and only four percent said that the economic environment was very positive so you can really see you know how difficult it is and around 75 percent of russian russian smes are saying that they are facing um, uh, a very um, uh, unpredictable business environment where the administrative pressure has in increase, increased rather than decreased over the last few years and also where the rule of law and, and the independence of the courts you know where they have to oftentimes refer to for all the kind of pressure that they're facing particularly from the um, security and, and law enforcement uh, and other uh, administrative facilities, you know, is really not oftentimes judging in their favor. So in that sense, you know, the environment for Russian SMEs perhaps is more challenging than for Finnish SMEs that indeed occupy a particular niche and also, you know, are known for the very good quality of, uh, of, of products that they are providing for the Russian market. And just to add <clears throat> to my previous comment, I think that Finnish uh, these SMEs, they are not so worried about high-level geopolitics as such. And we've seen like uh, increasing kind of uh, security tensions around the Baltic Sea. And and these uh, these companies, they they mostly uh, maybe mostly is too much too much said, but they look at the ruble ruble currency rate that is that is sometimes affected by by sanctions, but. They, uh, their business is not so much concerned by this high level, high level stuff, as long as their networks work and, and there's that one, one or two uh, people that you know in, in Leningrad Oblast or something. And, and uh, I think this is, um, it's kind of business as usual, I, in, uh, in, in my view. And in the, in the last barometer, the, it was again, I would say maybe false optimism. The, the smallest companies were doing the worst, <laughs> according to their own assessment, but they're still the most optimistic. And then large companies, they have all these compliance people who give you warnings all the time. Now, now I'm going into the psychology of these firms, but, but uh, I feel like uh, large companies, they, they have so much knowledge that they, they see all the threats. And, uh, and smaller companies, they don't have analysts or 
or, or people kind of warning them about things all the time. So. And I think Thank also, you. if if I may, may follow up a little bit on Sinica, I think one of the really big advantages that the small and medium-sized companies is the proximity of Finland to St. Petersburg. It is 120 kilometers. It's, it's less than 100 miles from the border to St. Petersburg. So it is, it is, it is kind of a, a bit of a whole market in a way to them because the logistics are quite easy to handle. But of course, a totally different market. But they, they are especially from the eastern border. Companies are very much looking to the Saint Petersburg, uh, uh, an area which is actually bigger than the whole of Finland. They have six million people, and Finland is only five point five. Thank you, Laurie. So a reminder again: if you have questions, you can submit them by email uh, to Kenan at WilsonCenter.org, by Twitter at Kenan Institute, or on our Facebook page. Uh, we have another question about Russia, the Russian government's economic response, the stimulus program. Um, is it perceived as enough? Uh, is it perceived as, uh, as insufficient? Uh, you talked about the uh, 8 trillion rubles and I've heard 5 trillion rubles, but how do you perceive this economic stimulus package coming from Russia uh, in comparison to obviously the United States is still a very small stimulus package, but uh, is there any sense that uh, somehow the stimulus practice will revive Russian small and medium-sized enterprises? Well, uh, okay. yeah, go ahead, Oksana. Go ahead. Okay. Thank you, Larry. So from my perspective, clearly there's not enough. I mean, you know, clearly the Russian government continues in the current environment of a kind of double shock of COVID and the oil price. Uh, prioritize very much the preservation or safeguarding of the reserves. And of course, Russian uh, well, still has a very large reserves and, and particularly the uh, hard currency reserves about, you know, $560 billion. But, you know, also, of course, the National Welfare Fund, which, you know, they should be spending to stimulate economy much more. But so far, they've been very conservative uh, in the way they were spending this, uh, this fund. And as a result of that, I think the total package that so far has been proposed you know, amounts to about two to three percent of GDP, which is really very low compared to most other uh, countries that are experiencing that kind of scale of uh, um, impact, both, you know, health-wise, but also, of course, on the economy. And, and also, of course, you know, the priority in this bailout uh, uh, funds, you know, is very much focused on two areas. One is, of course, supporting the large Russian national champions. And secondly, um, to support uh, the kind of national projects. This is kind of a big priority area which President Putin has put uh, on the table as, as, as a big priority for Russian economic recovery and, and, and recovery to growth rate. So the expectation is that Russia is going to spend substantial amount of that um, uh, bailout funds on uh, investment in large projects like infrastructure, etc. But of course, you know, what is really important is to create jobs. And a lot of those projects may not necessarily generate a lot of jobs. And also we know, of course, the existence of uh, corruption in Russia, a lot of money that are spent on this large state procurement projects are not necessarily spent in the most efficient way. While, you know, for subsidies to uh, people directly, uh, for which I think they're spending about less than 0.5% of GDP, I mean, something like four, 450, 
you know, billion, you know, as opposed to, you know, um, uh, several trillion that they're spending, for example, on, on, on supporting the state, large state companies and on SMEs, you know, which have not really received any direct assistance. They only received, uh, you know, from the government, uh, the uh, a possibility of, uh, you know, tapping into some of the loans on the preferential rates and to defer the payments on uh, some of their tax revenues, but they have not received direct subsidies. And I think that is why Apora I see is actually saying that it is possible that about 1 million Russian SMEs are not going to survive this crisis. Yeah, I, I also Anyone believe else? that it's, sorry. Uh, I also believe that this has been, has not been sufficient. Uh, but I think if, Russia has been, during the last decade, they have been really, Russian economic policy has been um, relying on ensuring macro stability. I think that's what they've been kind of uh, very successful at. The central bank has been, has been kind of commended for doing a, a nice work on, on, on maintaining macro stability and, uh, and uh, floating the ruble in very, very kind of difficult times in 2015. And I think Russia would need a very serious kind of mindset in uh, in Kremlin and the finance ministry and the Ministry of Economic Development, so that they could understand that now it's time to spend it. I think there were there were letter letter uh, by fourteen very prominent economists, Russian economists, uh, for example, Sergei Guriev and uh, and others who who were saying that now it's time to put the money that you have uh, you have saved in the fund in the sovereign fund to the use and i think even alexei gudrin who who has been like the architect architect of this macro stability policy he's even saying that it should be spent most of it should be spent about seven percent of gdp should be should be pumped into the russian economy now and uh, i think german gref as well in uh, who's who's the, who's the leading who's leading sperbank so so I think the Russian economy, uh, the Russian leadership will really need a, a change of mindset. They have good macro stability. Now you can, you can start to spend it. There are no large inflation threats at the moment. I guess the challenge, just to add very quickly, I think the challenge is that they look at the oil price, which is unlikely to return back to above $50 anytime soon, and understand that if they spend the entire welfare fund, which is, you know, According to all assessments, if the oil price remains at about $40 in the next uh, year and a half, probably the welfare fund will be spent anyway by middle of next year. Um, how will they replenish that fund, you know, if the oil price remains low? And of course, there's quite a lot of concerns of where Russian economy will be by 2024 if the economic stagnation and the global recession is going to be very prolonged and deep. So, so that's, the, that's the kind of uh, arguments that they're having uh, of why they do not want to spend it quickly. But for me, there's not only the question of whether to spend it or not, but how to spend it. Why to prioritize only the kind of national projects and the large state-owned companies but let a lot of uh, small businesses and entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs fail because ultimately they're the ones who generate more employment, particularly in the regions um, in Russia. Okay, uh, I have a question from Mike Goodman, uh, a historical question. Are there still any lingering resentments of federalization which dominated Finnish-Russian relations throughout the Cold War? Who wants to tackle that one? 
I, I actually just studied studied the 1950s and the Kekkonen time with my son, who is on a eighth grade. And I also reminded myself because I, I'm born 68, and and of course that happened before before my time, and of course a little bit when I was a child. No, we are we are part of European Union now, and and uh, we are very very closely following the the EU EU policies with with Russia, and and part of the the, the one Europe. So I would say that no, uh, yes, from the historical point of view, probably it is part of our past, but it is also in the past. We also have a, another question here from Daniel Kenyon, and his question is, how did the Finnish government's raids in Russian-linked properties in the Turku archipelago in September 2018 impact Finnish business operations in Russia? Uh, none whatsoever. It was a secluded case. I, I think it got a lot of, lot of, lot of attention in the media. Uh, I believe all the, all the properties are now sold. They are, are no longer owned by this Russian individual. And I haven't heard about it for, for over a year. I think the, the last time I heard about it was when I saw in the, in the newspaper that the properties were for sale. I think there's an investigation still going on. So don't know the results of that. Okay. Yeah, um, towards the individual, towards the individual who owned the properties, but mm -hmm. not, not to any Finnish companies or such. How do the Finnish companies deal with corruption in Russia? We only briefly mentioned the question of corruption. Um, and obviously it is a, a, a big issue for companies who invest in Russia. Uh, one hears a lot of stories about the levels of corruption one, what one has to do to conduct business in Russia. But how do the Finnish companies deal with this question of corruption? Uh, the Finnish companies uh, do stringent due diligence they they want to know with whom they work with uh, they have big compliance teams especially the bigger ones and and they do the, their, their homework well uh, a lot of the business relations are are with a long-time partners and it takes quite a long time for them to establish new ones so i would say it's about doing the homework correctly and then uh if there is an offer to to fast track something they don't take it. They they just take it a long route and, and and do it by the book, and 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 that way they can also steer out of out of the the, the troubles as well. So it's it's complying, uh, knowing your partners, as well as following the legislation and 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 following the rules. I don't know, Sinika, if you have anything else, but these are my personal personal experiences in in, in Russia. And there's some uh, one 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 recurring problem that was. Uh, related to Finnish business and Finnish trade was the customs, Russian custom, customs. Uh, back in the days it was very, there was always some trouble there and it was always uh, uh, Finnish business were reporting that there, there's some, they made up some problems and then there would be, would be some, uh, some weird questions or delays on, on the border and stuff. And, and we heard from our shareholders that the conduct of customs officials has really become much more professional and uh, they are not causing, and if you have problems on the border, it's usually your own paperwork is not in order. So there has been some, some I would say, positive development in, at least in this daily, day-to-day, -day kind of day-to-day -day corruption. Uh, I, I just remember customs has always been this kind of uh, very <laughs> corruption-prone prone sector in, in Russian public public relations. 
And one good thing, one if you want to bring up one good thing about the COVID-19 is that there hasn't been any tax audits or other audits during this time. The authorities have not been inspecting anybody, which has of course been, um, because it is sometimes quite bureaucratic, especially with the tax authorities. Yes, exactly. So uh, if you look at the latest report by Mr. Tietov, you know, which is uh, kind of discuss, uh, describing how the Russian businesses perceive this uh, situation, they said uh, at least the last year that the number of sort of planned um, uh, uh, investigations and, 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 and those, uh, you know, uh, ch checking of how the companies are complying uh, with various regulations have really gone down while the extraordinary ones, they actually has increased. And, and, and overall, I think the, the businesses are still feeling quite a lot of pressure uh, from the authorities. But I remember when I was working for BRD and we were doing this, you know, beeps survey in Russia, you know, particularly in Russian regions, looking at the perception of corruption among the investors. And, uh, you know, one of the questions was, you know, do you see corruption as a problem in the region? And uh, some of the most corrupt regions, you know, they got the negative response, you know, and we were really puzzled of why is it? And then we sort of tried to dig deeper and some of the uh, businesses, you know, said that actually for us, corruption is not a problem, it is a solution to the problem. Uh, because they uh, see so many problems with the red tape with, you know, really challenges and, you know, getting all these permits and, you know, connecting to telephone lines, to electricity, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera, that, you know, oftentimes they see kind of corruption is the only way to solve problems. So oftentimes some of those, you know, studies, you know, that look at how, you know, the corruption is, uh, is, is evolving in Russia, perhaps do not fully capture, you know, all the, all what is going on, particularly at the regional level. Another question about uh, doing business in Russia today. Uh, obviously, there was a lot of talk uh, after Crimea about the import substitution policies and that Russia was going to have preference for Russian products as opposed to foreign products. Uh, how has that uh, impacted businesses in Finland and other businesses uh, trying to conduct business in Russia? One doesn't really hear that much more about import substitution as, as a main policy in light of the other difficulties that face the Russian economy. But has that impacted, especially small and medium-sized businesses that are trying to direct kind of specific products to the Russian market? Uh, it is it is a challenge, and and, and, and uh, the localization especially. Is, uh, if I remember correctly, for example, when you go into a tender for a state project, and you're a foreign legal entity, and you are opposing, or you have an opponent who is also bidding and who is a Russian, Russian company, the Russian company gets 15% heads up on the price. So if if the foreign company's price is 10% cheaper than the other one and the other parameters are, are equal, the Russian company gets the deal. So it is quite complicated and I think it is also becoming a, a, a major issue uh, as the regulations are increasing with the localization. And, and when we talk to the bigger companies in Finland, they name that as the, one of the main hurdles at the moment of doing business in Russia is the localization. Sinika, would you add or did I cover the, the topic? Yeah, yeah, I think especially I don't I don't know how to especially segregate like localization and input substitution program, but uh, basically we're talking about maybe a bit of the same and this uh, this 15% benefit for Russian companies. It's it's been challenged by the EU Commission in in the WTO dispute settlement, <clears throat> but of course we're not the, the role of the 
of the dispute settlement that the whole WTO is challenged now. So we're not really, really hoping that this will overturn anything. Uh, but uh, when I've looked at import substitution, I believe that the only kind of success that these um, these programs, that, by the way, started already in 2011, uh, have, have been related to dairy and uh, meat production, where Russia has really also they they put these counter sanctions on 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 foreign imports, but uh, and at the same time they really really kind of put a lot of investment, government investment and support into into these these fields. So Russia is becoming more self-sufficient with related to food production. So that, that has been, to my view, the only kind of success in import substitution from the Russian view. Um, yes, I mean, that's, that, that's correct, you know, but there's also been uh, an interesting shift, you know, so we did a study together with the Bruegel Institute in, uh, uh, in Belgium, uh, you know, you can uh, see that, uh, I think, on, the web, on their website, which actually looked at the, how uh, many of the European companies are now increasingly losing their market share on the Russian market to Chinese companies, for example, that are, you know, coming into the manufacturing uh, sector in particular, you know, where it's not only the input substitution, it's also the kind of inability of many of their uh, Western companies, particularly, you know, win to win tenders or you know get into some of their um, uh, you know contracts with the Russian government as a result of the current environment, and and the Chinese companies are increasingly uh, as they uh, move up the value chain, you know, are really stepping in and, and taking the market share, which is something which of course is increasingly a threat to many of the European companies. Uh, well, thank you, Oksana. Thank you, Laurie, and thank you, uh, Sinika. Uh, we've come to the end of our hour, but uh, it's been a very revealing and productive conversation, and I'm sure one that will continue into the future. So thank you all for participating. Thank you all for your questions, and we look forward to uh, having you participate in future Kennan Institute events. Thanks very much.